What's up, Doc? I beg your pardon? We've got to stop meeting like this. I think you're making a mistake. You see, I just came in here for something for a headache. You're going to need an awfully big glass of water to get that down. What? Oh, no. No, you see, I'm a musicologist. I was just testing this specimen for inherent tonal qualities. Uh Uh-huh. I have this theory about early man's musical relationship with igneous rock formations. Uh Uh-huh. But I guess you're not really interested in igneous rock formations. Not as much as I am in the sedimentary or metamorphic rock categories. I mean, you can take your igneous rocks or leave them. I relate primarily to micas, quartz, feldspar. You can keep your pyroxenes, magnetites, and coarse screen plutonics as far as I'm concerned. I forgot why I came in here. Headache. Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Geneva. And I'm Tatum. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. So Tatum, how's it going? It's been a little, it's been a minute since we last recorded. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a hot minute. Uh, so I'm happy to be back. I am recovering from a terrible bout with the stomach flu, so that's great. Oh. Happy winter time of the year, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sitting in my bed while we're recording. I'm live. And, You're wearing uh, a very cozy looking sweater. Mm, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is just the first thing I saw in my closet when I was like, <laughs> I think it's time to get out of pajamas for the first time. <laughs> but yeah, I feel that. Yeah. So have you been watching anything recently that you'd like to tell the people about? <laughs> so, so Geneva and I recorded or our previous episode was the green Knight, but because that was a special episode, we didn't open with talking about what we've been watching So, and again, it's been a while since we've recorded. So I'm just going to rapid fire go through what I've watched in the last month. And then I'll choose specific ones that I want to highlight. So I watched, okay, I rewatched Dune, uh, the Denis Villeneuve version. I rewatched Arrival. I watched Red, White, and Royal Blue. I saw The Holdovers. I rewatched Tick, Tick, Boom. I rewatched Call Me By Your Name. Rewatched Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I watched a movie called Certified Copy, a movie called Heavenly Creatures, Anatomy Fall, May, December, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, The Boy and the Heron, and Godzilla Minus One. So it is that time of year (laughs) where all of the movies that I want to see are finally coming out. So that, in addition to not really recording an episode for a month, um, means that I've watched lots of things. But to highlight some major ones, um, let me look here. I mean, obviously, Porsche of a Lady on Fire is amazing. Um, Tick, Tick, Boom is a classic, even though it only came out. <laughs> yeah, a modern classic. Two a years new classic. ago. <laughs> um, classic in our hearts. Yeah. So I'm not going to go into any recent ones because I feel like some of these we might have further discussions on as we get into like award season more. Um, so aside from the newer releases, I really, really loved Certified Copy and Heavenly Creatures. Um, these are both movies that are on my list that I'm working through and both of them are phenomenal. 
Certified Copy is a film that I have no recollection of how it ended up on my watch list, but I am so glad that I watched it. It is a movie where it starts as one thing and you think you know where it's going. And then about 30 minutes in, it totally actually reveals itself for what it's really about. And then you're like, oh, man. I had to go back and watch this from the beginning because this is so exciting and this is not what I expected. So I don't want to spoil what that actually is, but just to say that it is, um, it's a French film and some of it is in English. Most of it is in French, but it basically follows this, this man and this woman middle-aged and they, they meet each other at, like a like a book signing type of thing and the man is uh the author of the book and after this meeting the two of them end up or after this like talk that he's giving the two of them meet up I think it's that night and then they start a journey where they journey through France and things happen that I'm not (laughs) going to go into it's definitely a movie where it's it's kind of like it's kind of like before sunrise but better in my opinion it's just a lot of walking around and talking and a lot of meditation on the concept of relationships and marriage and just just like so many aspects of relationships and i actually watched it with my mom and we both absolutely loved it um so, yeah, it's it's a movie that is hard to talk about without spoiling it, but I don't want to spoil it. So I would highly recommend Certified Copy. Um, and then the other movie that I want to highlight is called Heavenly Creatures. It is um, Peter Jackson's 1994 film. And believe it or not, I did not know this until I watched this movie. Peter Jackson discovered Kate Winslet uh, because this movie opens with introducing Kate Winslet And after that, I went and looked at her IMDb and I was like, she really had been in nothing before this other than a few episodes on TV shows that nobody's ever heard of, or at least that I've never heard of. So it is a really, really good movie. It is based off of, believe it or not, it's based off of a true story about these two girls that are living in Australia at the time. I think the movie takes place in like 1954 or something like that, but it follows these two teenage girls who become friends but they're definitely not friends they're definitely lovers um and the movie is based off of journal entries that one of the girls wrote basically chronicling the two girls relationship together and where it ended up so again this is a movie where I'm like I could spoil it because it's technically a true story that's been around since like the 50s but I don't necessarily want to do that um But yeah, it's about these two girls and their relationship with each other and how they kind of create this fantasy world that the two of them live in. And they both go a little bit crazy. And because of that, they end up doing things to people that uh, are not good. And you kind of get a hint of that in the beginning of the movie because you see them running out of a forest screaming, saying, my mom's hurt, my mom's hurt. And you're like, oh, shoot, what did they do to the mom? And you don't actually find out till the end of the movie what they did. So 
it's a very, very good movie. I found it to be a fascinating introduction to um, Peter Jackson's career. I have not watched a lot of his more, you know, over-the-top gory horror films, but I found this to be an interesting installation in terms of his career of transitioning from horror films to then, you know, more fantasy films because this movie is kind of over the top and horrific in certain ways, but it's also very fantastical in terms of these worlds that these two girls are creating and these stories that they're writing. And we see these creatures that are wearing, you know, physical, actual prosthetics. And it definitely kind of shows where Peter Jackson can go. But it's also really interesting to watch this movie, which is definitely a small film with a very small budget to then somehow getting a gazillion dollars to make the Lord of the Rings trilogy just a few years later. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a really, really great movie. I would highly recommend it. Um, it, it's visually beautiful. The cinematography is great. The story is very interesting and it's very twisted and you're like, who made up this story? And then you're like, Oh wait, this is real. That makes it even more disturbing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would highly recommend Heavenly Creatures and Certified Copy. They're both phenomenal. But if you're going to choose one over the other, Certified Copy is very, very good. But they're both fantastic. So, um, yeah, those are the two that I want to highlight. Let me just double check that those are the only two, probably, because I've seen a million things. Um, yeah, yeah. Those are the two I want to highlight. <laughs> also, Denis Villeneuve is one of my favorite directors alive today. I think he's fantastic, but... That's another story for another oh, day. Oh man, so. Dune two can't come soon enough. I do. That's a really good idea because I need to rewatch Dune one in prior to at some point soon. Well, we're we're going to talk about it on this podcast before it comes out. Ooh. Uh, okay. You know, foreshadowing. But All yes, right. we will watch that movie and review it on this podcast before part two comes out. Excellent, excellent, um, excellent, excellent. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so, like you said, it's been a while because I was I was looking back through my letterbox, being like. Why don't I remember us talking about any of these movies? It's because, because we didn't we talk have, about them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yes, I have seen not quite as much as you, but still a fair amount. Um, in terms of new movies that I've seen, I also saw The Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which I liked quite a bit. I saw Theater Camp twice because I watched it with my brother and then with my <laughs> we watched it with my roommate, um, which I liked, though. I think could have been better, but I, I did like overall. Can I ask what... Mm -hmm. I've been meaning to watch Theater Camp, but I there's a particular person in it that I'm like, ugh. But um yeah. <laughs> I how is Ben Platt's performance in that movie? Because I am so dearly hoping that he will be a good actor because I think he's an absolute I mean, he's an absolute talent in Dear Evan mm -hmm. Hansen, but yeah. I haven't seen him really give a good performance that's on screen. Mm. So how was he in that movie? Well, so this is one of my issues with the movies that I think some of the character arcs are not really fully developed. And I know it's a comedy, like character arcs are not the forefront of it. But for a movie that really, it relies on a big emotional moment toward the end. And which I think it, it generally pulls off very, very well. It has the, an original song that's really, really good. But I would say Ben Platt is very good, but he's playing a very unlikable character mm, that I okay. don't know if the movie means to be as unlikable as he, <laughs> at least as, as I find him. Okay. Um, but I think he's good. I 
yeah, I think it's worth seeing. He wouldn't be the performance that I would say see it for. I would actually say see the movie for uh, Noah, uh, Noah, sorry, Noah Galvin, who is uh, Ben Platt's husband, I believe, who is excellent. In I didn't know they were married. They're either married or long-term partnered, I believe. I think okay. they're married, but don't don't quote me. Um, look it up. But yeah, uh, regardless, Noah Galvin is incredible in theater camp. Highly recommend watching just for his performance. Um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend theater camp overall. I had some quibbles with it, but it's very funny. It's very charming. And like I said, it has some really excellent, like this soul, whole like original musical that they have at the end that's sort of hysterically ridiculous, but also really manages to pull at your heartstrings, especially if you also did a lot of uh, theater as a child. So yeah theater camp um the holdovers in may december i also saw excellent movies that i hope we will talk about on the podcast at some point um okay in terms of older watches um i saw a fish called wanda (laughs) for the first time have you ever seen that tatum no okay um yeah it's like a it's a sort of a British um, comedy classic. It's uh, very much in the Monty Python vein. It stars John Cleese and Michael Palin, um, but then John also Cleese Jamie. So much. I love him <laughs> He's so, so much. Good. They're all so good. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and then Kevin Klein, who I just forget until I rewatch movies from this era, like how much of a star Kevin Klein is. He's just so versatile. He's so hilarious. He can do anything. He's extremely hot, but he's also ridiculous. Like in this movie, (laughs) you're just like, how are you a person? How do you exist? This is insane. Yeah. A Fish Called Wanda. It was a little bit too over the top for me in some places, at least on this first watch, but I feel like I'll watch it a second time in a couple years and it'll probably go over a little bit smoother. I mean, it's generally it's a, I can see why it's a classic. It's just it's so ridiculous. I wouldn't call it a cult classic, but it's one of those things where if it works for you, I think you'll it'll just wheedle its way into your brain. You you can't stop thinking about it. I will say Michael Palin's performance is in it is just. <laughs> I just think about it and I start laughing. So yeah, a fish called Wanda. I would definitely recommend. Um, I saw a movie called Love with the Proper Stranger, which is Natalie Wood and Steve McQueen from the early ish, early to mid sixties. Um, I was kind of this movie wasn't quite what I was expecting because I thought it was more of a sort of rom com with the little some dramatic elements, but it's actually more a straight drama with some charming moments of light romance basically it's about this musician steve mcqueen who's kind of you know he's like um he's not very serious with responsibilities he kind of floats from girlfriend to girlfriend but then he gets uh, natalie wood pregnant and she is this um this young woman from a very strict sort of italian catholic family and she's really longing to break free she has this really overbearing brother who keeps stalking her every time she tries to ha- hold down some sort of a steady boyfriend and so it's the two of them kind of trying to figure out what they're going to do with this pregnancy trying to see if they can obtain an abortion for her trying to figure out if they belong together uh, most of it takes place over the course of a single day as they're kind of wandering around new york and it's really good i i I was surprised by it. It it wasn't what I expected. I think the performances are excellent. The writing is really strong. Um, it's not super dark and heavy, but there are some there's some intense moments, and there's also a lot of charm. And yeah, love with a proper stranger. I think it's it, it's an interesting movie that I 
had not really known much about and I think is worth watching. Gotcha. Yeah, I've never heard of that one. Yeah. Uh, and then the last one, real quickly, is a movie called Silverado, which is a Western from the 80s with, um, oh gosh, it's got this huge cast. Also, Kevin Klein is in it. Um, it's <laughs> Dana's shaking her head. Uh, let's see. It's got just Scott can't. Glenn. I'm like Kevin Klein in a in a Western. I know. Like, what? That's amazing. <laughs> Playing like a completely different character from a fish called Wanda. Uh, it's got Scott Glenn. It's got Danny Glover. It's got Kevin Costner. Like it also has John Cleese. I'm just looking at the cast list now. What? I'm like, oh my gosh, Jeff Goldblum is in it. Like it's an insane cast. Is it it's, a comedy? It's a. It's got comic moments. It's yeah. It's like a. It's like a. Buddies all sort of meet up and then team up to take down the bad guys, and a lot of things happen along the way. It's a pretty long movie. It is so entertaining. Hmm. I really, really enjoyed it. I won't say it's like the best movie ever, but it is a lot of fun. It's a great wow. like dudes being dudes <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of movie. Um, yeah, Silverado. <laughs> wow, had a great time with it. I hate westerns, and that sounds interesting to me. So. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I would recommend. Um, How did you watch it? Is it streaming somewhere? Uh, no, my roommate had recommended it to me, and she um, she had the DVD, so we oh, were cool. able to watch it that way. So, yeah. All right, so justice that's... for DVD players, guys. Oh I my mean, gosh, come on. guys! Yeah, I was just. <laughs> It, we're recording this uh, pre-Christmas. I was just doing some Christmas shopping, and I was looking up some of the the DVDs on Amazon. You know, trying to think of things to put on my wish list or things to buy for others. And I feel like the DVD selection on Amazon is starting to get a little sparse mm. because people just don't value physical media anymore. So stock up when you can. Buy your physical DVDs. You own the movie forever. I just went to um, Half Price Books with a friend a few weeks ago, and I was like. The strikes are over. I haven't spent money in months and months and months. I know work is coming, so I'm going to treat myself. (laughs) And I went to Half Price Books, and I bought several things that I've been holding off from buying for honestly like years because I've just been like, I can't justify spending money on this. But it's Half Price Books, so things are cheap. So I went went there, and I bought the set of all of the Blu-rays of the um, Lord of the Rings Extended Edition, which I've been waiting to do for forever. And then I also bought seasons uh, one through five of Game of Thrones on Blu-ray. They didn't have season six or seven or eight. I don't feel particularly inclined to buy seven or eight, but I need to get my hands on season six. So yeah, I'm yeah, I'm a big fan of having physical media, especially of the things that you really like watching the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, I just picked up at my local Savers um, seasons four and five of Mad Men, and I've been rewatching them, and it's been a great time. It's so good. Yeah, DVD guys. <laughs> it's so funny. My, I mean, it's not that funny, but my um, TV stand that I put my TV on, now it's got all of my favorite things on display right there. So I've got all of my DVDs of The Office, all of my Blu-rays of Game of Thrones, and then my VHS tapes, my DVDs, and my Blu-ray sets of ah, the Lord yeah. of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> People are like, Wait, you have Lord of the Rings on DVD and VHS? Absolutely, I oh do. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Well, like, I love that so much. Why would I not? Why I does everyone program. not have those? <laughs> What's wrong with society? <laughs> but yeah, people are always like, I'm sorry, are those VHSs? I'm like, I'm sorry, do you have a problem with that? Like, what do you mean? Don't you? 
<laughs> at my local savers there's a whole rack of vhs tapes and it just brings me so much joy i cannot use them i do not own a vhs player but i love that yeah. it exists yeah anyway all that anyway being said. all right all that being said <laughs> All right, so let's talk about this movie. So today on the show, we are talking about a longtime favorite of mine. What's up, Doc? From 1972. Directed by Peter Bogdanovich, starring Barbara Streisand, Ryan O'Neill, and Madeline Kahn. The development of this film um, sort of began with Barbara Streisand, who watched Bogdanovich's Oscar-winning film, The Last Picture Show, and expressed an interest in working with him. According to an interview with Peter Bogdanovich, uh, John Calley, the head of production for Warner Brothers, asked him what kind of film he would like to make with Streisand, and Bogdanovich suggested something in the style of the great 1930s and 40s screwball comedies. He then worked with writers David Newman, Robert Benton, and Buck Henry, who wrote a screenplay loosely inspired by the Katherine Hepburn film Bringing Up Baby. In keeping with the retro feel, various Cole Porter and Gershwin songs are used throughout the film. There are also homages to movies like Casablanca and Red River. Um, there's some of the inspiration from the silent comedies of Buster Keaton. Obviously, Bugs Bunny is a huge theme uh, in the movie. Streisand was <laughs> reportedly a little bit disappointed to be making a comedy with Bogdanovich because she actually wanted to do a drama. And it seems like the two... I mean, reportedly, they were both highly opinionated uh, people with very strong sense of personal vision. They didn't always see to eye, eye to eye on set. But Streisand says she trusted Bogdanovich's vision, and the two of them have since spoken very highly of their respect for one another's abilities. I'm um, sure I'm sure mm -hmm. this isn't true, but I'm just mentally picturing the two of them on set having some sort of spat and then Polly Platt just jumping in in front of like <laughs> yeah. in between them being like, guys, guys, guys. <laughs> how I can we how can we resolve this? Yes, <laughs> let's do something. Let's. <laughs> All right. Um, this movie was the feature film debut of Madeline Kahn. I wanted to mention that because she is an absolute national treasure, both on the stage and the screen. I love how much you love her. I love Madeline Kahn so much. Um, she, of course, reteamed with Peter Bogdanovich and Ryan O'Neill for Paper Moon, 1973, which we talked about in a previous episode. Go see that one. It was a great app. And then um, listen to our episode about it. Yes. <laughs> Go watch the movie. Listen to our episode. Five stars. Shameless, shameless plug. Yeah, shameless plug. Um, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars for that. Um, should have won. I don't remember what was actually won that year, but I'm going to go ahead and say she should have won. Uh, Madeline Kahn is also hilarious and perfect in the movie's Clue, in the movie Clue, if you've ever seen it, and also in, of course, many Mel Brooks comedies, which is kind of the other main thing that I know her from. Um, if you've not already done so, please watch Young Frankenstein and then look up the bloopers for Young Frankenstein on YouTube because they are hilarious. And she, they're like absolute chaos is erupting around her and she just does not break. And it's so impressive. And I love her. Um, all right. So speaking of Polly Platt, the San Francisco setting for What's Up Doc was actually chosen by Polly Platt. Polly Platt, who was then still married, I believe, to Peter Bogdanovich, uh, though they divorced shortly afterwards. The centerpiece of What's Up Doc is, of course, a massive chase scene through the streets of San Francisco, which reportedly cost a million dollars to make. And Can I just say, mm -hmm. while watching this movie, I was like, I, I literally was thinking, what is the budget for this movie? Because 
I, like every that entire scene I just or it's not even a scene it's just I don't even know what to call it I was like the number of locations the number of cars then like I just the stunts the the I was just like how how much money did how, this yes. cost? <laughs> how did no one die when making this? <laughs> I mean, apparently there were some close calls. There were a couple of stuntmen who were injured. There was also permanent damage that was done to the famous Alta Plaza Park steps when a bunch of cars drove down it. You can see the steps being <laughs> like heavily damaged during in the film itself. Pummeled? Uh, yes. <laughs> like splintered apart. Um, so... Uh, Polly Platt did not receive a producer credit in the film, but of course, as we talked about in the previous episode, and we want to, want to acknowledge again, she was he- very heavily involved in producing and contributing ideas to all of Bogdanovich's early films. Her invisible work in those films has thankfully received greater attention in recent years. And if you haven't already listened to it, I highly recommend Karina Longworth's series on Polly Platt for her po- podcast, You Must Remember This. As the film's production designer, which was how she's officially credited, Platt designed many of the stylish interiors for this film, and her work on it helped her to become the first woman admitted into the Art Directors Guild. Fun oh, fact. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, or maybe I did from the You Must Remember This yeah. podcast, and I just <laughs> forgot. I couldn't, um, I didn't have time to like verify what the exact timeline was, whether this was the film at which point she got in, or whether it was a little bit later on, but definitely this is something that helped contribute towards her being admitted into the guild gotcha so yeah so that's that's what's up doc that's all right. that that's that <laughs> that's all folks no we have so much more to talk about um yeah so i this is just an all-time favorite movie of mine i grew up with this movie my uncle showed it to me and my brothers when i was pretty young we were all just absolutely in hysterics and i've returned to it so many times over the years it's a favorite movie to show friends um it's a great, you know, throw it on when you're having a bad day because there are just so many iconic scenes, so many great lines. Um, it was also, this is a movie where I encountered the inspiration for it, which is the movie Bringing Up Baby years later. And I was like, hmm, not as funny as What's Up Talk. I'm very surprised by that. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> Bringing Up Baby was not particularly a movie that I was like, wow, I Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, but that I'm surprised that they're connected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can see it like in the in the pl- the very bare inspiration for the plot, but obviously there right. are a lot of differences. One's not really plagiarizing the other; it's more like an homage to the other. Um, Suggestion for a drinking game: if anyone mm. ever wants to get absolutely plastered, which I don't really ever, I never do, but. If if you're watching Bringing Up Baby, ha, ha, take a drink every single time they say baby, because oh I'm pretty gosh. sure baby is said like over a hundred times in oh the film. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, you could try that same game with uh, What's Up Doc and maybe Eunice or Judy mm. saying Steve. Mm-hmm. A lot of, uh, lot of possibilities there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So this is... Um, yeah, like I said, this movie is just, it's its so funny to me. Even though, like, when I first encountered it, I didn't really understand the things that it was referencing. It was just, to me, like, a 70s comedy. It, But it completely stood up on its own. I think it's, I think it's aged well. I think it stands up over the years. You know, every time I return to it, I find there's always some little, like, background character or line of dialogue that goes by so quickly. Like a joke that I somehow missed in every previous viewing that I can appreciate now. Um, I love the look of it. I think it's so 
stylish, the the 70s like kind of crazy interiors and all the like long lapels and bell-bottom pants that everyone's wearing is great. I love the that lady with the the older lady with the jewels who just goes out every night and lives her best life in these I- incredibly stylish like ridiculous outfits. Um, is she the one who who at one point in the movie has on like green nylon yes. with a green skirt and a green, <laughs> green hot pants green and then this shoes. like sort of robe over it yes and like go-go boots yeah it's amazing yep. I'm like lady you're 80 years old what <laughs> I love it I love it too I want to be her um you I can think- be her just wait 50 years <laughs> thank you <laughs> I have seen my my inspiration for my life I should put a photo <laughs> of her above my bed do it um yeah and I, I think the performance of this performances in this movie are so good i mean this was my first uh introduction to barbara streisand and obviously she's a legend in her own right and she's incredibly versatile and she has so much so many things that she has accomplished and so much range in the roles that she's taken but she is such a good screwball comedy sort of um you know wild woman who just walks in and chaos erupts around her and she's so chill she's very much in that sort of barbara streisand Catherine Hepburn vein and I love it it's great and her chemistry with Ryan O'Neill is so good and obviously we know my love for Mar- uh, Madeline Kahn so yeah I love this movie <laughs> all right Tatum this was your first watch of it I believe so what were your thoughts yeah this has been a movie that's been on my watch list for a long time um This movie honestly makes me want to go back and watch The Last Picture Show because obviously, you know, I chose for us to talk about Paper Moon, you know, a while of episodes back and I love that movie. This one I quite enjoyed as well. Last Picture Show is, I didn't, I was quite, it just was not for me the first time I watched it. And so I'm wondering if I should go back and rewatch it again um, because maybe I just, it just didn't hit me the right way the first time. But anyway, we're not talking about the last picture show. We're talking about what's up doc. So yes, this was my first time watching this movie. I, I went in completely green. I had no idea what this movie was about. I had no idea what genre it was or anything. All I knew honestly was that Barbara Streisand was in it. That And, and I knew it was directed by Peter Bogdanovich, but other than that, I didn't really know anything about it. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. I I thought that it was very witty and very clever. I liked a lot of the jokes. Um, I do think for me it did it it did kind of get into Paddington territory for me in the sense that there was just so much chaos that I started getting stressed out <laughs> of just like <laughs> I can you know, see that. Paddington is not a bad movie. What's up doc is not a bad movie by any means. But I'm just like, ah, I'm stri- like, this is just too, b- can someone just like stop the chaos, please? So many lives that are just getting ruined. Around. Like, I mean, I not need- ruined, they'll be fine. But like, yeah. I'm like, I need order. I need order. <laughs> this is insane. And so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I do have a few qualms with some of the, I feel like the ways that the movie wants us to perceive certain characters um, but aside from those two things, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought that it was, uh, quite funny. Like I said, very witty. Barbara Streisand, as previously mentioned, is an absolute legend. I don't really know anyone that doesn't like Barbara Streisand. <laughs> um, she just, 
steps on screen and automatically just completely she's, captivates you. Yeah, she's so luminous in this movie. I think I saw that word in a review that as I was doing research and it just it's so apt. She's absolutely glows every time she's on screen. Yeah, it's like even in the in the courtroom scene at the end, she's literally hiding under a blanket and I'm still staring at her. You know, it's just it's crazy. Um, your eyes just are so attached to her when she's on screen. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed the movie a lot. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things I want to talk about with this movie, so I'm excited to, to get into it, but overall I, I really enjoyed it and I probably would watch it again. I just would probably fast forward some of the car chase (laughs) scene because it, it does get to be a bit much for me and. I would love to see if there's information somewhere online or if someone's done any sort of super nerdy essay on this somewhere on what are the longest car chase scenes in movies, because this one has to be up there. I mean, this is such a long car chase scene Um, and not in a bad way. It's just very long. (laughs) Something that I, I kept seeing as I was doing my research and I feel like research meaning like my you know, Google searches like one hour before we started recording. <laughs> we do intense research when intense, we prepare for Yeah, nothing but the best here. <laughs> Academic quality all the way. Um, but yeah, one thing that kept coming up in, in reviews and in interviews and things like that about this movie was Bullet, which is the Steve McQueen movie that came out a few years earlier, um, which is this really legendary car chase scene, which I think is also in San Francisco. I, I just watched Bullet and... I do not remember what the setting is. I think it's also San Francisco. But um, yeah, the the idea that this scene is sort of like a kind of a parody in a certain way, or at least sort of like taking off the idea that everyone at the time will remember the car chase scene from Bullet. Now here's a like ridiculous screwball Buster Keaton-esque like version of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah I, I really liked how at the end there was a very direct reference to Looney Tunes because I was like... This is this is a Looney Tunes, (laughs) you know, and I didn't quite maybe it was alluded to earlier in the film and I just didn't catch it. But I did not I did not feel that the film was making that connection throughout it until the very end. I was like, oh, this movie is acknowledging that, you know, they're in the same. Yeah. Yeah. So she is the Bugs Bunny and Mm -hmm. He is the sort of twisted romantic version of Elmer Fudd. And she's fixated on him and that's it. Which I suppose... Maybe that... Can I just blame it on me recovering from the stomach flu? But... The fact that it's called What's Up Doc means that I should have gotten it, <laughs> but that's that's fine. <laughs> and she says it at the beginning of the ad. I mean, there aren't any direct Looney Tunes references in between, really. It's more references to other things, but yeah, and it's very I much like- I should have gotten that. Yeah, and like in classic screwball comedy and Looney Tunes as well, like the reality of the world keeps bending around her in mm-hmm. certain ways, you know? I love that scene when she's first introduced and she's just kind of walking through the streets of New York, or New York, sorry, San Francisco. And first of all, she's hungry and the way she shows that she's hungry is by licking her lips, which is such a cartoon thing to do. Yes. <laughs> but then she'll just like, she just walks across the street and doesn't pay any attention. And then they're like, people flying off of motorcycles and cars crashing into each other and pizza getting stuck to the roof of the the pizza place and just all this like insanity that's happening around her and she's just kind of like wafting through you know she has she has throughout this whole movie from beginning to end she has complete i don't give a fuck energy Mm -hmm. she's just like i 
I don't care about it. <laughs> it's just, it's so wild to me that yeah. she just, it, it's almost like she doesn't notice the effect that she has on the environment ab- around her, but she does. It's, it's so interesting. She just, mm-hmm. yeah, she's yeah. just, she's the main character in her own universe. Yeah. And she's that's like, just whatever happens is, is what happens. I'm just going to do my thing. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so I figured we could go through the plot for this one, though not in any sort of strict sense, because there's a lot of swapping of bags around, which I have seen this movie probably at least a dozen times at this point. I have never once been able to follow <laughs> where the bags are at any given moment. I, think, I don't even know if there's any actual logic to it. I think the plot of the movie is fairly simple. It's fairly simple. Mind. Yeah, it is. It is. Um... So we start with this credit sequence where we're looking through a book and Barbara is singing the song You're the Top, um, which is a Cole (gasps) Cole Porter song. Mm -hmm. Can I? I was going to wait to bring this up until later because it's the same song at the beginning and at the end, right? Correct. Yes. But at the end, it's a duet. Right. I don't know if the movie intended to do this or maybe this means that my brain is in the toilet I don't know but the fact that they're talking about top and bottom and at the end he she's like I'm the bottom and then he's like no you're the top and I'm just like (laughs) where are you going with this (laughs) well do do you know top or do you know tops and bottoms yes (laughs) yeah I'm just like is that what this I don't is that what this is trying to reference was that a thing in the 1970s like I don't know considering that song was written in like the 1930s I don't know if that slang well they could have chosen it like it it might not have meant that when it was originally created but then they could have chosen it for that reason I mean it's, it's appropriate to the dynamics within this film I think they just mean like I'm the worst no you're the best but you know hey I think that interpretation also works. <laughs> yeah, I was just I was just interested cuz I was mm-hmm. like the fact that this movie opens and ends with that song means mm-hmm. that it definitely was chosen for a reason. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, what could that reason possibly be that resonates with the story that this film is trying to tell? And I was like, that's the only way that I can make that <laughs> connection. Like But yeah. Well, as I mentioned, like a lot of the music in this film is intentionally sort of throwback tunes from like you know Cole Porter George Gershwin um like they sing um this isn't them I forget who wrote this song but they sing you know in that crucial scene as time goes by from Casablanca like a lot of it is like intentionally retro sort of music and that's kind of in keeping with this movie is like let's take these you know sort of familiar plot dynamics and things like that that kind of dust them off and put them in the 70s and show that they can still shine um yeah which i really love if barbara streisand is singing anything it's gonna shine (laughs) it is so it's so funny at the end when they're doing the duet and ryan o'neill is just like he's really trying (laughs) he's you know honestly he did way better than i thought he would i yeah he did he held his own he yeah he He held his own but it's just so funny because barbara streisand will then just swoop in with her incredible vibrato and like yeah i love it so much i love it can i also say too just regarding the credits there was one thing that i noticed during the credits that i thought was interesting uh when it was you know obviously credits they list the credits of people i thought it was interesting when they got to the prop department the the prop people that worked in the prop department it said prop men 
Oh, interesting. Like, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Rather than just like props and then listing names. It said, yeah. you know, they had like prop master and blah, blah, blah. And then prop mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. I was like, hmm. Yeah. And then I feel weird. I mean, it wouldn't be surprised if it was all men back then. I mean, I'm assuming it's like a title, like, you know, best boy, who I'm assuming does not necessarily have to be a boy. But right. He probably it's just interesting. probably was. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. like prop men. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're introduced to it starts with once upon a time, there's a plaid overnight case. So we're introduced to the fact that there are these four plaid, very distinctive looking cases that are going around. So first we see there's this one that um it's filled with top secret documents and you open it up and it's just a file that says top secret over it um which is very cartoony in itself and so is this sort of like i think it's kind of parodying the 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 release of the pentagon papers which i think it happened the year before like you know this like journalist who's trying to release documents because the people have the right to know and then there's this like fbi agent who's on his tail Obviously, the details of that do not matter at all. I love so much the fact that the FBI agent is like so incompetent and thinks that the way to blend in with society is to just constantly carry around these golf clubs, which are like way too big for him. And so he's trying to chase the the, the journalists through the streets of San Francisco and they're going up all these hills and he has to keep stopping and taking golf clubs out of his, his bag and just like stuffing them in trash cans. That so conspicuous. That is my favorite gag in the whole movie because from the get-go, it's absolutely ridiculous. And then it's very funny, like you said, that he's getting rid of all of these golf clubs. But I thought that the golf clubs would go away after that <laughs> opening. But like he has he them the whole time. using them. It's like every single time he goes anywhere, he takes these golf- <laughs> like, dude, what are you doing? Why? Why? I feel like at some point, I might be wrong about this, but I feel like at some point he's lost all the golf clubs and he's just holding the golf club like container. <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. just like holding it, like carrying it around like it's his backpack. Yeah, it it, it was my favorite gag in the whole movie <laughs> because I thought it was hilarious to begin with. But then when I realized that it was just going to keep showing up, I was like, this is the best thing ever. It's so Whoever's idea that was, kudos to them kudos because to it's them. great. Oh, my goodness. Um, Okay. So then we meet um, Howard Bannister, who's Ryan O'Neill. And Howard is this, like, um, he's, like, this sort of uh, nerdy, I guess, like, absent-minded professor type who just, like, he has this really overbearing fiance named Eunice, Madeline Kahn, um, Eunice Burns. And she just keeps, like, ordering him around and telling him what to do. And he's just like, yes, Eunice. Yes, Eunice. Yes, Eunice. And then... (laughs) The whole thing where she keeps telling him things and he's like, yes, Eunice. And then the, the like, um, taxi driver, I guess, comes up and she tells him what to do. And he's like, yes, Eunice. <laughs> it's just like she keeps, you know, she's just she's got to organize, you know. I love the character of Eunice. I know the movie is like, you know, it kind of presents her as like unattractive and overbearing. But I feel like the movie has a lot of like um, affection for her. I certainly have a lot of affection for her. It makes me so happy at the end when she kind of gets her own happy ending and she finds someone who's kind of like better suited to her, I think. Yeah. So a few comments. The first one is that I literally wrote down in my notes, that's the bone structure lady. <laughs> yeah. Because structure. I, it was before I even saw her face. I just heard her voice and I was like, that's the bone structure lady. <laughs> um, 
But also, yeah, what you were saying about Eunice is kind of something that I was alluding to when I was talking about how I have a few qualms with how certain characters are portrayed in this movie because I felt like Eunice was and maybe this is just my own interpretation and you didn't perceive it the same way but I felt like Eunice was put in this light where she was supposed to seem like this overbearing obnoxious fiance that no one would want to be with because she's just high maintenance and bossy and blah 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 and I was like yeah I mean she's bossy and all that but also she's very justified in a lot of her outbursts in this movie and I think that she's actually incredibly patient and trusting given all of the evidence that (laughs) Howard is most likely cheating on her and eventually does but like all of her suspicions are correct and I think in a lot of ways she's like she holds back for a long time because she does trust him and she talks about how relationships are built on trust and so I don't know I just feel like the movie was trying to be like ah the annoying nagging fiance and I was like is she annoying? Yes. Is she overbearing? Yes. But also, I don't think she would be this obnoxious if she wasn't put in this scenario where <laughs> yeah. she was being pushed to her limits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was something that irritated me a little bit. Yeah. I think she's just, she's a very, she's a person who really needs to have control over the world around her. And I think she will work best when she's with someone who can really use those skills, but also has some sort of ability to push back or be kind of their own person and Howard is someone who is very easily kind of domineered and he needs someone who is going to kind of push him to break out a little bit and be make the start making unconventional choices and you know do things that are not necessarily preordained so I think it's like you know Eunice is not a bad person at all she's just not right for Howard. Howard is not right for her. Um, she's a little zany, as are all the characters. <laughs> but I think she's great. And I'm really glad that she gets her her happy ending in the end. Yeah, that there's... I mean, I wrote down lots of quotes from this movie. But one that I wrote down was <laughs> when uh, Eunice kind of tells Judy, or maybe it's Howard, I don't remember. But one of them tells her, we're engaged. And Judy goes, my condolences. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, girl, what? <laughs> <laughs> which I do I do want to mention as well. I don't know if it's too early to to dive into this, but kind of in the in the same vein as what I was saying about Eunice, I do struggle as well with the portrayal of Judy. I do feel like they try to communicate that oh, she's this rambunctious, edgy, kind of carefree woman who's a little or a lot of bit reckless. But also she's kind of sweet and she's cute. And look at how, you know, just you need to be pulled in by her because she's so sweet and blah, blah, blah. And she's also very hot. And I'm like, I don't know. She's kind of a terrible person. No, (laughs) I don't disagree with you. I mean, this is why the Bugs Bunny archetype, I think, is so helpful in understanding her because it's like she is great if you're on her side if you cross her, you better look out. Because, like, she sends uh, Eunice to that, like, gangster's hideout, like, pretty much knowing that it would be a gangster's hideout. Yeah. That's a really messed up thing to do. Yeah. She, and, and I think there's several moments like that in this movie. And mm-hmm. I'm like, girl, you are just inserting yourself into situations where you shouldn't be there. Like, you shouldn't. And, and I get it. You know, she she's basically a cartoon character, right? Yeah, she's, yeah. This is I the thing it. about this movie is, like, 
at least for me, it's like you can't take any of these people as real people or apply yeah. like real life dyna- dynamics to them because they are all cartoons to one yes. sense or Ev- Everyone absolutely yeah, is a cartoon. I, I, I agree with you. I just I struggled a little bit because I felt like the movie wanted you to fall in love with her. And I was like, mm-hmm. no, she kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I fall in love with her because she's like, you know, again, she's Barbara Streisand. She's so charismatic. And like, we all love Bugs Bunny. But again, would you want to be friends with Bugs Bunny? Like, you wouldn't want to cross Bugs Bunny. Right. You know, he's this sort of elemental force of like, justice, but justice in the sense of, I want to get what I want, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> all right. Um. Anyway, so yes. <laughs> um, so just to finish introducing like the different bags and kind of the different players within the story. So we meet Judy, um, who has yet another of those um, very distinctive looking plaid bags. Who is the designer of this bag? I know. I'm like, I wonder if that's a poly plaid thing. I have no basis for that, but I would love to know. In in this universe, who ran the marketing campaign of this bag that like so (laughs) many people? (laughs) Well, obviously it was the prop then. Well, I mean, in the universe of the film, like oh, I see, yeah, like what? What was why the is marketing? This bag, so. Yeah, <laughs> why does everyone own this bag? Who's the designer? Like, I don't know. Oh man, um, yeah. So she, Judy is like, um, she's wandering around the streets of New. I keep saying the streets of New York. Why do I keep saying that? She's wandering around the streets of San Francisco. She's looking. She's basically just looking for food. Like that's all her motivation is at this point. She's like watching this guy make pizza, and then the guy keeps staring at her, and then his pizza goes completely wrong, <laughs> which is great. Um, and she just she wa- wanders into this hotel because she's just following like a delivery guy who's holding like pizza boxes <laughs> or something like that, uh, which I love. Um, <clears throat> let's see. She has this whole little scam that she sets up where she figures out when a room is empty and then orders delivery, uh, like room service to it, which I'm like, I don't think you can actually do that. But if you could. Nice. There's a lot of things in this movie, particularly with the hotel that I'm mm-hmm. like, I mean, I didn't exist. <laughs> is this in how hotels. it worked in the 70s? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never been to a hotel in the year 1972, but it is miraculously easy to get in and out of these rooms. <laughs> like. The TV yeah. is attached to a wall with a cable, not a mm. plug. Like, what is happening? <laughs> um, the, yeah, the 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 doors don't. I mean, maybe this is how it was when you had like a physical key as opposed to a key card. But the doors don't lock automatically, and apparently they don't lock the doors when they're not rooms are not being used, so people could just like sneak in and out. Um, and there's <clears> like <throat> a there's like a rooftop that you can very easily access that's under complete construction <laughs> yeah. that is not safe at all. That's like the one touch that of has magical a piano realism. In it. <laughs> that's like the one touch of magical realism, like full magical realism in this movie is where like Howard gets into that elevator and I'm pretty sure he presses the button to go down, but it just yes. takes him up and he's just like, okay. <laughs> yep. And it's just like, that's the power of Judy, <laughs> like takes him <laughs> where she wants him to go. Yep. Um, okay, so fourth and final um, over plaid bag that we uh, find is uh, Mrs. Van Hoskins, who is, as aforementioned before, <laughs> as mentioned before, the like elderly lady who has a insane amount of jewelry that she just carries <laughs> around in this bag and shows off to the hotel manager. The concierge like, is like, what? <laughs> yeah. like, what is going on? Like, how has she not been robbed a million times 
<laughs> um, but yeah, so she's just like, oh, I've got my bag. I've got my jewels. I'll keep it with my room in my room overnight where I'm just going to go out and leave my bag alone in my room. And then tomorrow you can lock it up in the hotel safe. Um, <clears throat> I love the line later on when the concierge is telling he's like he's working with the, the house detective and they're like trying to rob her of these jewels. And he's like, what kind of a house detective are you? You can't execute a simple burglary. <laughs> I mean, he's a terrible, he's terrible, a terrible he's so He's so bad at his job. <laughs> Dude, the golf, if the golf clubs weren't a sign that he was bad at his job, then I don't know what is. Yeah, yeah. Both the FBI agent and the, the house detective, both just, yeah, people, members of the establishment who are absolutely atrocious at their jobs. Um. Yeah, so Judy is like hanging out in the lobby of this hotel and she sees Howard pass by and she's basically just like that guy. <laughs> like, I want him. Um, so Howard has like, he like bumped his head and so he goes into this drugstore to get um, aspirin and Eunice is like, make sure you get it with buffering at it. Um, but yeah, so we have this I- iconic scene of Howard meeting Judy in the drugstore, which we quoted at the opening, and Judy sort of tries to scam him into buying a radio, kind of, which always makes me laugh when he comes up and is like, how much is this aspirin? And the guy's like, $67. And he's like, how much is it without the buffer? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was confused, too, because I wasn't aware that she'd put a radio there so yeah. i was like is that supposed to be a gag in the movie that aspirin costs 67 dollars <laughs> yeah she like she puts the radio down she's like my husband will pay for this and so when he comes up the guy just rings them both up together <laughs> and howard's like what is happening <laughs> oh my goodness um yeah so I mean, i'm just like i don't even know how to like describe the plot of this movie because it's just every line to me is iconic the like uh, Judy like chases Howard out of the store and she keeps calling him Steve and he's like my name's not Steve <laughs> and they're like walking she's going up the elevator going the right way and he's attempting to walk up the elevator going the wrong way and they're both just staying in the same place which is great um, <clears throat> and they meet Eunice and Eunice is like what is going on who is this crazy person <laughs> which is great um, so after that is like um, oh yeah so Basically, Howard and Eunice are there because Howard is this like academic who's up for this grant called the Larrabee Foundation grant. And they have this banquet dinner in the evening. It's like the American Council of Musicologists or something like that. And he's trying to impress Mr. Larrabee so that he will win the grant. And Eunice is trying to coach him on like how to shake hands and like introduce herself because he's just so helpless. By the way, Mr. Larrabee, who has the worst hair I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh my gosh, I love Mr. Larrabee so much. Um, He's just like this tiny little guy with this horrible 70s haircut, but he's so sweet to everyone. Like, he's just like, yeah, he just like genuinely really likes Howard. Obviously, he loves, well, we'll get, we'll get to it. Um, So, yeah, so like Howard and Eunice are getting ready. Judy, like is trying to get her (laughs) she's trying to get the room service she ordered but then like the spy goes into the room first and like gets it instead and she has she goes like i don't know who he is but i hate him which i think about that line all the time um yeah so judy like 
sort of accidentally stumbles into Howard's room and then sees the invitation and gets this bright idea. And so she like dresses up and goes downstairs. And before Howard even gets to the ballroom, she has introduced, like ingratiated herself into the Council of Musicologists and met Mr. Larrabee and just completely charmed them all. Um, Again, there's no checking of IDs in this <laughs> well, no, process. The, she knows the name of his fiance. So she just goes up and like, Asked for the badge for Eunice Burns, which well, is like, no, but they should verify that. They shouldn't just be like, okay, here's a name tag. Well, it's hilarious because I'm like, this is the level of event where I would expect there wouldn't be a verification. Like, you know, how many people are going to be dying to worm their way into the Ameri- American Council of Musicologists? But Everyone. then when Unit, the Everyone. actual, when the actual Eunice shows up, they are like barring the door to try and prevent her from getting in. It's insane how much they don't want the actual Eunice to get in. Um, so there's like this there's this completely amazing scene where Howard shows up and is just flabbergasted that Judy is there and Judy is completely charming Mr. Larrabee and she um, he's like you 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 and she's like Eunice Howard Eunice that's my name and he's like how how and she's like Howard Howard that's your name <laughs> uh, it's so funny um, and Howard is up for the grant against this really obnoxious guy with this ridiculous European accent um, called Hugh Simon. <laughs> but he's not he's not from a real place, right? No, because I don't at think the so. end he speaks some language. He and I'm speaks like, completely I'm pretty gibberish. sure that's not yeah. real. <laughs> well, considering the fact that it's eventually revealed he's a plagiarist, I would not be surprised if he's just like a con man who like made up his own accent and language to try and seem cool. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, oh my goodness, like so many things are happening. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, there's the whole, (laughs) Howard like keeps trying to talk to Judy and be like, what the hell are you doing here? And she's like, meet me under the table. And so they like go under the table to try and talk. And then Mr. Larrabee follows them down. He's like, hey, what are you guys doing here? And then the rest of the, every, all the other professors at the table are like, hey, what are you guys doing down here? And the waiter is like, what kind of wine are we serving at that table? Yep. <laughs> and Judy's like, oh, uh, yeah, we're under the table because we're uh, studying the effects of uh, vocal reverberations under spinal pressure. You know um, you know what that is? And the other professor's like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, I think I read a monograph on it. <laughs> anyway, um, let me see. So, yeah, chaos continues to ensue. You, the actual Eunice shows up. And then Howard, by this point, is like, He's basically clinched the Larrabee Foundation grant, and it's all because Mr. Larrabee loves Judy so much. And so he, <laughs> Howard, like, denies knowing the actual Eunice, and she's, like, completely passes out. She's, like, hysterical. Um, and then when they drag her out of the room, <laughs> she leaves the- trails on the <laughs> ground with her shoes. I was like, how did they do that? These, like, really clear, like lines that she's leaving on the waxed floor with her shoes i was like is the issue her shoes is the issue the floor is it both like (laughs) how how does that even happen yeah oh my goodness so while all of this is happening though um there's all of this sort of room swapping shenanigans that are happening up in the the hotel room holiday uh, hallway because basically all of the rooms of all the owners of those identical looking bags are all in the same hallway and so the thief is trying to like sneak in so that he can steal the jewels and then the fbi agent is trying to sneak in so he can get the the top secret documents and then the like 
the journalist who has the top secret documents is hiding it, hid the bag in the room with the woman with the jewels and the like all, all these sort of things like keep happening. And then, of course, Howard has his bag, which is filled with his his igneous rocks that he makes music from somehow. And Judy has her own bag that she left in Howard's room, which just has her like clothes and stuff in it. And it's completely impossible to follow. <laughs> but the amount of ways that they find to like make someone mistake one bag for another and like take it but then get interrupted and so they leave it in some other location and then someone else sees that bag and thinks it's theirs and take it to another location it's like it's insane it's so good um again how do they get in are are people just not locking their doors is (laughs) that what it is like Mm -hmm. this is it's crazy (laughs) it's crazy i mean to be fair the um the house detective who's trying to steal the jewels he has a master key so he's like he can just let himself in wherever he wants. I think a lot of the others are like, it's their room or they're using able to open the connecting door to the next room over or something. I don't know. It doesn't really make I don't think sense, there's but... any logic to it. I think it's just they're going into each other's rooms. <laughs> it's just insane shenanigans. Um, let's see. So that night, like, you, you know, the real Eunice is understandably and justifiably furious that... <laughs> All of this went down and um, Howard pretended not to know who she was. She's reading this book called The Sensuous Woman, which really made me laugh. Um, And she has this like ginormous wig that she puts on, which is the same color as her hair. Like she has beautiful looking hair underneath that is the same color as her wig. But for some reason, she keeps wearing this wig. Um, And oh, goodness. Like, Howard gets back to his room, and of course, Judy is there again. And she's like in the tub, like fully taking a bath. And well, um, can, can I just say, yeah, please. I, it, it seemed very unbelievable for Howard's character that he would be that ripped. I, I was like, <laughs> he should be, he should be a little bit of a heavier set dude. Uh-huh. I mean, because his body looks like he goes to the gym. It's it's a great you know, body. Yeah. and I don't see his character going to the gym and lifting <laughs> no. weights to look like that. He just he's just look at lifting those rocks every day. <laughs> I <laughs> bang guess. his little piano tuner against them. <laughs> but I was just like, that's so strange that he takes his shirt off and I he know. looks like he looks amazing. It's yeah. Well, that's you know, there's a reason that Judy was Judy's so into him. Um. He should have gained some weight for the character, but that's just my own personal opinion. <laughs> um. Anyway, so, yeah, so, <laughs> oh my gosh, Howard is, like, freaking out because Judy's there, and um, that whole thing where he's like, you are the last, the last, you know, the straw that breaks my camel's back. You are the plague, but why me? Why? Why me? She's like, because you look cute in your pajamas, Steve. Um. So cute. So <laughs> I have a question. Like, yes. Is it, I I was wondering if, was it still a thing in the 1970s that people would have separate rooms before they got married? Or was that a specific choice to show that these characters don't, they, they, that they're not having sex. Yeah. Well, or just that they don't have, they don't feel comfortable enough with each other to be in the same room. I wasn't sure which one it was. I'm. 99% 99% sure that that's a very intentional choice to show that they're not comfortable with each other. And also that Eunice is like, she's a very, very straight laced person. Like she's throughout the film, she's wearing clothes that are kind of very 60s coded that are, you know, five to 10 years out of date. Um, 
there's that whole like thing at the end where she's like, oh, yeah, I'm staying on to be with Mr. Larrabee in separate rooms, of course. You know, it's just, you know, she's a very straight laced person. I do love that moment, though, um, when they're preparing to go downstairs where um, Eunice is like, well, you know, I'm I am a woman, Howard. Like, you know, I, I don't know if you really realize that, but I am a woman. And, you know, I have like woman's wants and <laughs> Howard is like, I don't You're think of Eunice. you as a woman. I think of you as Eunice. <laughs> She's like, I mean, okay, but also, (laughs) (laughs) you know, yet another sign that it's like, it's, you know, it's not really going to work with these two. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So basically we have this whole like escalating series of events that's very like, you know, that community episode, the darkest, whole darkest timeline thing where like all of a sudden everything's on fire where Howard is like trying to hide Judy because Eunice is trying to get in and he's like oh my gosh you know you're here in a towel my fiance is about to come in everything's gonna go to hell you have to go and stand on the sledge outside of the hotel room well before that i really liked the line that mm-hmm. she's like what are you doing he goes well you're here eunice is coming in i'm gonna jump yeah. <laughs> it's like, it is so matter it's of so fact resigned. of uh-huh. like this is this is the only option <laughs> like i'm gonna do it and she's like no <laughs> i feel like you know and maybe this is just because as we're recording this um Ryan O'Neill has recently passed away, so it's kind of front of mind. But I feel like as I was rewatching this movie, I have I had like a new appreciation this watch for his performance, you know, because he is playing that sort of like uptight stick in the mud character. And there, you know, it's not a very showy role, but I feel like he really does a good job with the sort of, um, you know, expressing who Howard is, even from the very beginning in his little like the way he gets irritated with Judy or with Eunice when things are are not quite going the way he wants them to and his sort of gradual like breakdown slash warming up to Judy throughout the film like it's it's I think pretty well measured in in the transformation that he goes to goes through and he has some really really funny moments one of them being him just like well nothing left to do but jump out the window I'm gonna jump (laughs) well I really liked his performance in this movie Mm -hmm. it definitely stood out to me as you know his performance honestly might be my favorite in this movie because he I don't know. I just, I totally, I feel like a lot of the people in this movie feel like just straight up cartoon characters. Mm-hmm. And Howard does feel like a cartoon character as well. I mean, he's walking around with a bow tie with no shirt yeah, on. Yeah, he's so. the, the absent-minded professor archetype, but he does feel like the most grounded in certain ways. Well, yeah, I was going to say that, like, in addition to his cartoonness that he does have like everyone else, he does still feel like he could be a real person to me. Whereas everyone else, I'm like, these people do not exist in the real world. Mm-hmm. But with him, I'm like, you know, he's he's a socially awkward guy that's been caught in a situation where he's totally in over his head and he's trying to do his best. And so I don't know. I think because of that, among other things, I did really like his performance a lot. I thought he did a great job. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, So yeah, the... <laughs> Howard like makes Judy go out on the ledge and um, in a towel (laughs) while Eunice like searches the room and then he's they're like sort of freaking out together he's got like the tv turned all the way up and then she tries to get him to turn it off he breaks the tv (laughs) he like breaks the controller he tries to turn it off by pulling the cable out not the plug the cable which of course starts an electrical fire and then like all this time the 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 FBI agent has been like 
uh, also out on the ledge, and he like falls through the window with his golf clubs. With his with golf his clubs. Golf clubs. <laughs> and I, I just love the fact. I don't know if you noticed it, but they have this room service guy who comes to the room and is like setting up. And while like the electrical fire is happening, and everyone's trying to like put it out with like you know beating it with blankets and everything the room service guy is just quietly continuing to set up the little table in the corner like he does not notice what is happening we also forgot to mention i don't Uh remember the exact specifics of the line but the one when eunice calls him on the phone and she's like whose voice is that he goes oh it's a it's a war movie she goes they're getting dressed for the big battle but it's a woman's voice oh you're right it's yeah he's like they're they're female soldiers it's called the fighting wax which really made me laugh yeah it just i thought that that was worth worth mentioning that was a line that i liked thank you that was that was really funny um yeah so yeah there's this like absolute chaos that happens the next day like howard wakes up his hotel room is completely trashed the manager comes in and there's just this really funny scene where he just kind of like the manager just kind of silently looks around him (laughs) and is like yeah you gotta go (laughs) yep um and howard just accepts it he's like yeah yeah that makes sense (laughs) where he's like maybe i could sit in the lobby and the manager's like no (laughs) yeah So I'll just go up to the sixth floor and meet a lady laying on a piano Mm -hmm. and casually have sex (laughs) in a construction site. Like, it's fine. Yeah. So Howard goes up again. He like he presses the button to go down, but the elevator magically takes him up to the roof and he finds a piano there. He pulls off the like tarp that's covering the piano. And hey, Judy is there. And they start singing as time goes by together. And they have this really cute chemistry. And um, they're like. Judy reveals that because throughout the film, she just keeps like at random times spilling all this really random information about things like she just happens to know all of this stuff. And basically the idea is that she her dad really wants her to graduate college. But every college she goes to, she ends up getting kicked out because she calls it causes chaos. And so she's been to like 10 or 12 colleges and all with completely different majors and read all this stuff, but then it, inevitably things start happening. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so uh, Judy gives Howard the letter, which shows that he won the grant, and they start making out <laughs> on the floor of the construction site. I love when the construction worker comes in and sees them, and he just like opens his mouth, and his little cigar falls into like the cement or whatever he's mixing. <laughs> um, let's see. So um, the to celebrate him winning the 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 grant um howard and eunice are supposed to go to this like party at mr larrabee's house and so howard's like well mr larrabee only gave me this grant because he thinks that judy is eunice we need to straighten that out so all three of us are going to go there and we're going to explain what happened but (laughs) judy does this like genuinely really messed up thing and sends eunice tells eunice that the address has been changed and she sends him to this address that she overheard which is the address that the jewel thieves are so not okay (laughs) it's so not okay so not okay so poor eunice is sent to this like gangster's lair out in the middle of nowhere um but of course, because of all the different, you know, bag swapping shenanigans that have happened, it turns out that the jewel thieves don't have the jewels. They have Howard's rocks. And she's like, what are you doing with Howard's rocks? But see, that's another reason why I do really like the character of Eunice, because she does recognize that these rocks are very mm-hmm. important to him. Yeah, she's like she has so much loyalty to Howard and his like attachment to his rocks. She's like, don't touch the rocks. Like, you know, she she is just like 
you guys need to respect what those are. You might mm-hmm. not understand them. I might not understand <laughs> yeah. them, but they're very significant to this person that I care for. Mm-hmm. And like, give me the rocks. Back. Yeah, she she is a great partner. She is for the right person in her life. Yes. She is a great partner. Just not the right partner for yes. for Howard. Yes. And, but apparently the right the right partner <laughs> for Mr. Larrabee, I guess. Yeah. Which I find surprising because Larrabee obviously seems super enraptured by Judy, but she is very different from Eunice. Yeah, I I mean, I don't think he's enraptured by Judy in the sense of like he wants to be with her. I think he's just enraptured by her in a sense of like, oh, she's this like dazzling, charming person that I enjoy talking to. But I don't think that he needs a Judy in his life the way Howard does. Yeah, he's like, Judy's hot. Eunice is compatible. Yeah. Yeah, you know, not he's that Eunice isn't of... hot. She's hot in her she own way. She is hot. Yeah, she's yeah. hot. In she her just own needs way. to. She needs to ditch the wig. Um... <laughs> Why does she need the wig? Her hair is all. I right. know her hair is gorgeous, which is one thing that I love that we see. <laughs> I love when she's like padding so around the hotel room in that like long sort of. Um, I don't, what would it be called? I guess it's like a robe, but it's a sort of like housecoat thing. It's like quilted. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. That yeah. looks so comfortable. I feel like yeah. my grandmother had one of those that was that was just kind of popular in like the 60s, 70s. I'm like, where do I get one of those? That looks really comfortable. You could probably find one online. I probably could. Um, okay, so yeah, basically everyone ends up at Mr. Larrabee's house because um, Howard and Judy show up. This house, by the way, can it's I, like the can I just mention? Yes. Can I just mention that What's-His-Face uh-huh. still has the golf club? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> he still got him. They're his, uh, his disguise. Like how... They just like, they need to continue to be mentioned because <laughs> yeah. he has them the whole yeah. time. <laughs> For no reason. For no like, reason. It's not working. Your cover is blown at this point. Get rid of the golf clubs. They're his source of power. Um, Mr. Larrabee's house, by the way, it's like on the exterior, it's this really gorgeous like Victorian San Francisco townhouse. And then inside is it's like insane super 70s like modern sleek with these like weird glass tubes and everything it looks amazing i love it so much <laughs> i'm assuming that polly platt designed it if so she did an amazing job i i mean she's the production designer so mm-hmm. she had to design it yeah yeah it looks great um and i love it as a, like this representation of mr larrabee's personality too it's like i don't know he he's he's very modern in a weird way that you wouldn't think I or maybe he's fully... trying to seem modern. I'm I'm not really sure. I'm not going to lie. I don't fully understand who he is. I'm like, who are you? Do you, like, are you some rich daddy's son? Have you built your own wealth? Like, I where, who are you? It's a great question. <laughs> I could Do definitely see him as, like. care about music? Like, I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> I could definitely see him as second generation wealth. And it's like. He doesn't have to do the hard work of building the empire, and so he can just kind of devote himself to his like niche academic art interest in the arts and design a really cool apartment. Um, and good for him. He just is so random. Yeah, like I, it's just like he just is who he is. Yeah. we don't we don't need to know the details. <laughs> He's living his best life. Yeah. Um the uh, the rival guy Hugh Simon is there too, which like. <laughs> Every single line he says is just so funny to me. I didn't mention before, but back at the banquet when they're first introduced, he is like 
trying to ingratiate himself into Mr. Larrabee is Mr. Larrabee's trying to introduce himself to Howard. And Howard's like got both glasses full of like champagne glasses he didn't ask for. But Hugh is like leading <laughs> Mr. Larrabee. Oh, or- I don't really drink. Oh, neither do I. (laughs) And he's got his name tag upside down. But like Hugh is leading Mr. Larrabee around. And the the way their hands are intertwined, it's like they're doing a square dance and they're like promenading around the floor. And Mr. Larrabee keeps trying to get out of it. And then they just sort of twist around and then they're like holding each other in a different position. And it's so funny. Oh, my goodness. Um, They're like, so now they're at the like the the party at the townhouse. And Hugh is like, continuing to be this obnoxious jerk to Howard and Judy takes him aside and is like did anyone ever tell you that you are very very sexy and he's like actually no and she's like well they never will <laughs> I know I was like dang that is right like the, the biggest, biggest insult I've ever heard in my life so whoever good. wrote that like geez oh man oh man so um yeah so the gangsters show up with Eunice in tow um the journalist shows up and he's got a gun he's like give me the documents and the gangsters are like give us the jewels and like and it like a full like like fight it's basically a food fight <laughs> that breaks out um people are like hitting each other with like lamps and statues and um some random old lady gets a gun and is like shooting it like a maniac like girl (laughs) what are you doing the part where hugh is like don't shoot he's like for god's sake don't shoot me i'm part italian (laughs) which is great um mr larrabee is like he sees someone hit eunice and he's like how dare you strike that brave unbalanced woman (laughs) Oh my goodness! And then, of course, that fight leads to this monumental car chase. Where, um, well, c- yes. can I just say oh, real please. quick? I really, th- this is probably another one of my favorite gags in the movie, in addition to the freaking golf clubs. <laughs> but I really love this super brief moment where Judy and Howard are rushing out of the house, and there's this this service guy who just very calmly opens oh, the door right. for them and shuts it behind them and just stands there like nothing is going on. I forgot about that. It's so like, what? Yeah, I just, I love, I love in movies, I guess comedies mostly, when there's just absolute chaos ensuing and there's one person who just like, is not... Pretending it's not happening. Like, is not shaken by it at all. It's just like, oh yeah, this is normal. Yeah. <laughs> And this guy represents that for me. Exactly. Same with the room service guy earlier in the film. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) So yeah, Howard and Judy, they like collect all four bags and they rush out and they put them in this like, um, this like delivery boys bike or something. And then they're, so they're like biking. And now this guy is involved because he wants his bike back. back. (laughs) Very understandably. They're like biking all over like, like the San Francisco Hills. All the other people are like, piled into multiple cars there's like two taxis and i don't know someone has a car and then like i like how i think it might be the fbi agent he just like stops this random guy it's like this older guy in a convertible and he's like i'm an fbi agent follow those cars and the guy's like okay okay he's, like, he's so excited to get involved in this car chase. meanwhile his car is getting absolutely destroyed but he absolutely keeps participating destroyed. like oh my goodness and so this car chase Oh, there's just so many good moments. I mean, the uh, obviously the whole scene with the pane of glass is just so classic screwball. The like, you know, two guys, this huge pane of glass and then one guy up on the ladder and they're all like the cars are driving past them and they're trying to avoid getting hit. And then at the very last moment, someone knocks over the ladder and the guy like swings down from 
holding this like giant banner thing and breaks the pane of glass and it's just like it's it's perfect it's so can i just say that if you're carrying a huge clear piece of glass Mm -hmm. anywhere don't don't mark it with white tape Put red tape or something <laughs> on because white tape is so it's gonna blend. It's in. not easy to sit. <laughs> I don't think that would deter the cars, but I see what you're I saying. I mean, no, but I'm just like in general, don't yeah. use white Make tape. Make a little more. <laughs> My favorite. I love the well. I the fact when the cars are coming and the the guy up on the ladder just crosses himself is so funny. The fact that like as they're coming they're all coming back the guys with the pane of glass are like okay let's do this logically we're gonna turn the pane of glass so that we're not you know we're presenting the smallest points you know for them so they can't hit us and so they do that but that just puts them in the perfect position for the pane of glass to shatter when the guy swings down and it's so good also we have to shout out mm-hmm. i mean i i found all of the stunts in this movie to be extremely impressive mm-hmm. but particularly this stunt of all of these cars fitting in between this ladder i was yes. like mm-hmm. i was just like i don't know mm-hmm. the amount of risk mm-hmm. I, it yeah it's just crazy i was so impressed that all of these cars were able to drive and fit perfectly mm-hmm. through this ladder like just squeezing yeah. by just barely it's it's so impressive. And I mean, no wonder people got injured. I mean, this movie, mm-hmm. there's so many stunts that I'm just yeah. like, this is this is dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if it was the the stunt driving itself where they got Actually, I I don't remember. I was just looking this up. I know one of the injuries was when they were doing the stunt of driving into the bay. Mm-hmm. Um there was another, there was like an ankle injury, but I can't remember the context in which that mm-hmm. happened. But yeah, it's it's insane that they're not all dead to be. Well, there's people like, it's, even in the beginning when mm-hmm. Judy's first crossing the street, like mm-hmm. there's people walking and yeah. there's cars just barely missing. I'm just mm-hmm. like. It's so insane. Also, I read on one of the pieces of IMDb trivia. So this is unsourced. It's on IMDb. So take this with a grain of salt. But what it said was that that particular stunt at the beginning where the car gets rear-ended because it doesn't want to hit Judy. Like they had basically, there were no stunt cars available for them to use. So what Peter Bogdanovich did, again, this is unverified, but it makes me laugh, was just rent two cars, get pay the extra for collision insurance, and then perform the stunt and then return. Oh my the cars. gosh! Wow. I don't know if that's true, but wow, yeah, that would not fly with a studio <laughs> no. nowadays. You would never work again if you did that. There are so many things in this movie that would not fly today um, in terms of the, the making of. I mean, number one, of course, being the the fact that they damaged those stairs as they were performing that stunt, which apparently led to San Francisco changing their laws to make it more strict. Like, we need to know what you're going to be up to before you can right. film here. Understandable. Um, but then at the same time, I'm like, you know, we got this amazing car chase out of it. So um let's see what else happens in this whole scene yeah they (laughs) judy and howard like drive straight through there's like this chinatown uh parade um like parade through the middle of chinatown and they drive straight into it and then they like drive off with the chinese dragon on top of them (laughs) and i love that line where judy's like i can't see and howard goes well there's not much to see actually we're in the middle of a chinese (laughs) we're inside a chinese dragon (laughs) Yep. And he just says it's so deadpan. It's so funny. Well, I also love the the line when he's like, I can't see. That she goes, I'll clean your glasses. That he puts them back on. He's like, 
oh, oh no she he goes yeah. I can't see she takes the glasses to clean them then he goes now I really can't see yeah and then she gives the back and he's like now I can see and then he takes them yeah he's like oh god I can window. see and he just throws them away <laughs> oh my gosh um <clears throat> there is <laughs> this is such a little moment and I swear this one I don't know who this guy is whatever stunt performer this is deserves an Oscar there's that one moment where the guy is just like just walking like down the street and then all of a sudden this garbage pail comes like oh behind yeah him. and then mm-hmm. there's like two more and then there's like 10 garbage cans like rolling down at him and he gets so freaked out he jumps over a fence and like lands in the middle of like some kid's birthday party <laughs> i just it's I such a little moment that makes me laugh so much i'm picturing i'm assuming it's prop people it could be set deck people too mm-hmm. but i'm assuming it's prop people I was just picturing people around that corner pushing those garbage <laughs> because you know there's someone back there. Who's oh like, yeah, that's of course, their yeah. job in that scene to push whoever, the garbage yeah. cans. Whoever, whether it was Peter Bogdanovich or someone else, whoever choreographed the timing of it, so it's like one, and then it's two, and then it's like they're just so ominous. <laughs> it's so yep. well staged. Like I can see why he gets freaked out and jumps. And the way that guy. F- falls on the table (laughs) it looks like he actually got hurt i was like is he okay maybe that was the other injury i don't know but i mean it was it looks like he landed right on his tailbone in his head like it's like he has whiplash or something like it looked painful hopefully not hopefully he's fine um there is i mean there's like multiple times where they like drive past someone who's like trying to do like there, there's that guy who's trying to like spread cement and they all like drive over it one after the other and he gets all mad um judy and howard like <laughs> they drive the chinese dragon into like a costume store and then they come out wearing costumes which is such a cartoon it like thing. doesn't help at all <laughs> It does uh, nothing. It doesn't make any sense. Like, no. why would that? That makes you so much more conspicuous. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, and then they, like, get, they like steal this little Volkswagen that's supposed to be, a like, a just-married car for this couple that's just coming out of a church. And Howard's, Howard's like, this is such a bad thing we're doing. And Judy's like, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, and they're, yeah, so, like, driving all around. There's that one moment. This might be a little bit earlier in the chasing, but there's that one moment where, like, all three cars are like screeching up a hill and they all hit the same minivan on their way back down. And then the guy comes out of his house and tries to get into his minivan and it just falls over. There's so much car damage. There's so much car damage. So much car damage. Oh my goodness. Um. So yeah, like Judy, like she's driving, even though it's her first time driving and Howard's like freaking out and he's like, let me drive. And then they cut away and then they cut back and they've switched places and there's no explanation as to how they did that. Um. Yeah. So they're driving around, and Howard's glasses are dirty, and Judy cleans them, and he's like, "Oh no, I can see!" And he throws his glasses away, and then they all just like drive into the the bay, and like Howard and Judy, it's so funny. Howard and Judy are like they're trying to catch this ferry, which is like just a little bit too far for them to catch, so it's like understandable why they do it. Everyone else just fully drives in after them, like they don't even hesitate. Also, why is it that Judy and Howard's car floats and the rest oh, of them don't? Yeah, th- this is actually a thing um, that Volkswagens, I think there was actually commercials at the time advertising Volkswagens and one of the selling points was like, they float. Don't ask me why, but that's a thing. Volkswagens if float. If your car happens to be <laughs> stuck in a body of water, yeah, it'll float. It'll float. Wow, Very that's chitty, chitty, crazy. Bang, bang. So, yeah. I also... <laughs> 
I, I feel like this movie was so cartoonish that I assumed that, okay, they're just not going to show up because they they're, they don't exist in this movie. Mm-hmm. But apparently cops do exist. Oh, they yeah. just take forever, <laughs> forever to show to up. Show up. <laughs> I love that they like, instantly start falling in the bay, too. <laughs> like, where have you yeah. been this whole time? This oh, has been happening for so long. Yeah. Which, speaking of which, um, I... We didn't mention it, but back when they were in the hotel room, the electrical fire is happening. Someone calls the fire department. And when the fire department comes in, it's full Keystone cops. Like they're just tripping over the fire hose and they're trying to axe down the wrong door and everything. And it's it's so good. It's like you don't even need to axe down the door, period. But the fact that you're doing it to the the wrong wrong door. (laughs) Why? Oh, my gosh. All right. And now we have come to, honestly, which I think is my favorite scene in the entire movie, which is the courtroom scene. Oh, it is my favorite scene in the entire movie. Yes. (laughs) It's just like, we just start out with this judge and it's just him talking to the bailiff and he's just like so neurotic and nervy and he's just talking about how like, oh, I, my nerves are shot by watching this parade of human debris float by but i i want to lock them all up in heavy chains somewhere but i can't because i have too much compassion and it's just like and the bailiff is just like yes your honor yes your honor what's what's the yellow pill for it's to remind me to take the blue pill what's the blue pill for they won't tell me (laughs) he's so dramatic i love it he's just like on his absolute last nerve and then later on in the scene he just like downs five of the (laughs) dude you shouldn't do that if you don't know what they are And so like everyone from the movie is all in this courtroom and they're all trying to talk at the same time and the judge is like losing his mind and he keeps like threatening to like he's like I'm if everyone's doesn't become quiet I'm gonna tell the someone to start shooting to shoot to kill um uh, at one point they're talking and he's like get the court psychiatrist tell him to bring straight jackets in assorted sizes <laughs> Honestly, they should get straight. (laughs) Howard is like attempting to tell the story of what happened, but it it makes no sense. Well, that was that was the thing that I honestly liked the most about this scene, because Mm -hmm. it started and I was like, okay, we're finally going to learn what just happened. Like whose cases are what? Where did they go? And then I was like, oh, no, like it it is completely insignificant to know what these things are the point is that no one knows what's going right. on or what <laughs> happened and i loved that that this scene lent itself to you having this expectation of oh mm-hmm. now we're finally going to get the we're answer get and some it's like, order it's like the answer is that there is no answer right. it's just all chaos all the way down is that clear no but it's consistent, it's consistent. <laughs> The way he instantly regrets asking Howard to tell the story. The <laughs> one who Howard isn't my is wife the is the one worst. who is <laughs> the one who isn't my wife is also the one who isn't my fiance, who isn't Eunice, but he called her Burnsy. But because of uh, Eunice Burns, but her name is she isn't Eunice. And he's like, what? What he's are you the talking worst about? at telling the story? It's like so the bad. story doesn't make sense in the first place, but the way that you are telling it is so bad. It's so confusing. Oh my goodness. Um. Yeah. And so, of course, the capper of this entire scene is that, you know, Howard's whole story has been pointing to Judy being the, you know, culprit behind all of this chaos. And so finally, the judge is like, and Judy has been like hiding herself under this blanket this whole time. And so finally, the judge is like, 
hey, you there in the blankets, like you seem to be what all of this chaos is circling around. Show yourself. And so Judy emerges and turns out she is the judge's daughter. <laughs> he is the father that she's been trying to graduate college from this entire time. And he's just like his whole his whole like judge's table thing, whatever that's called, it just like falls apart at that moment, which is great. Yeah. This whole scene is absolutely fantastic. I I will say though I mean, I could be wrong. I don't Mm. really know about law. And I did start to think about it more. And I was like, okay, maybe people were just reacting to things that already were happening to them. And therefore, it's self-defense or whatever. But my initial thought was, all of these people should be in jail, right? Except Except for for Eunice. Except for Eunice. Except for Eunice. The guy who lost the the bike, delivery bike. And Laramie. Uh, yeah, Mr. Larrabee is fine, but yeah, everyone I'm just else like, I feel like should be in jail. How would you charged with something? Yes. I mean, how would you even begin to like start untangling these charges? I love the scene where the the arresting officer is like trying to tell him what happens. He's like, "Well, some of these people, we fished them out of the bay," and he's like, "Oh, were they swimming?" He's like, "No, no, no, they drove in." He's like, "Into the country?" And he's like, "No, into the bay." <laughs> and then he just keeps adding on to it, and the judge is like, "Okay." All right. That okay. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It actually reminded me of, I mean, they're very different scenarios, but it reminded me, a li- I don't know if you remember this, Geneva, but it reminded me a little bit of um, season two of Twin Peaks. I don't remember what episode it is. It's pretty early on in the season, maybe episode two or three, but um, crap, I'm forgetting his name. A- Agent Cooper, he wakes up from basically a coma and he's like, <laughs> What happened? And then they're like, well, the mill burned and -and so-and-so did that. Like, it's literally a laundry list of everything that happened. And then his response is, how long have I been out? (laughs) And they're like, oh, just a few hours. (laughs) But this reminded me a little bit of that, of just like all of these. He's just listing all of them. And he's like, oh, wow, there's a lot that happened. (laughs) Yeah, again, it's very like the energy of uh, Troy coming back into the room during the darkest timeline in community and just seeing everything on fire and being like, yep. what did I miss? Yep. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so um, I have to say it again, Shiva. I'm sorry. Every time we mention it, Roxanne. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, that episode is like just one of the best pieces of TV writing of all time. Um. Yeah, so... After the chaos of this scene, we cut to, like, they're back at the airport. Everything has been mostly sorted out. Um, Howard has <laughs> apparently has oh, now lost the, the jewelry grant. lady. The yes. jewelry lady shouldn't be charged for anything. Yes, either. the jewelry lady. Yeah. Is, yeah, she's fine. Um, but yeah, the Howard has lost the grant to... Hugh Simon, because the Larrabee Foundation is not used to bailing its founder out of jail. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Eunice is now with Mr. Larrabee Um, happy for them which came from out of nowhere I was like oh I I didn't even know that you guys knew each other (laughs) well because they were in the taxi together like being held at gunpoint by the gangsters due to the entire chase scene and they're sort of like clinging to it was like at one point like Eunice is like clinging to him and he's like I'll protect you Um, and they're in there with like the Eastern European guy. Yeah, right? and he's who's yeah. like also freaking out. Who's yeah. always flipping his hair around. Like, Dude, what? what oversimplifying, oversimplifying. I never <laughs> oversimplify. <laughs> <laughs> so many good line deliveries. <clears throat> Let me see. So, but yeah, like the um the uh, the whole joke of like 
Um, Judy's like, yeah, so Howard, I'm really sorry that I lost you that $20,000 grant. And then the the jewel lady comes up and she's like, did you know that there's a $20,000 reward for the return of my jewels? And they're like, this is great. And then she's like, yeah. So that reward, it went to like paying back all of the damage, the damages for everything. Why is she the one who has to pay for it? I don't know. Like, well, she's it's not like liable for any of this. Well, it's like, this is the reward money that they theoretically earned, but she's gonna like use that money to pay all these damages and then she's like oh yeah so there's like 50 bucks left over to be split between five different people so that still shouldn't be her responsibility it to pay for be. all of that like be. absolutely not i guess she's just nice like that i guess she does seem like a nice lady yeah she does yeah any woman with so, that much jewelry has to be a nice again, lady she's, right she's an icon i want to be her <laughs> again it is possible for you i believe thank you you. thank you i how do i get to this place where i can buy (laughs) afford expensive rooms and fancy hotels and bags entirely stuffed full of jewelry if anyone has any suggestions send us an email Mm -hmm. yeah if anyone has any like rich men who are liable to die soon who are looking for a trophy (laughs) wife (laughs) hey geneva would be a great partner yeah your pick pod at gmail no yep (laughs) Hit her up, bachelors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Our podcast becomes a dating podcast. Oh my gosh. That would be so interesting if we hosted a dating, dating podcast. <laughs> that would be such a disaster. <laughs> be called Unqualified Advice. I feel like there's a podcast like that already. Probably. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so, like, Hugh shows up and is like gloating, but then Judy pulling her random knowledge accrued from just who knows where out of nowhere puts together that Hugh plagiarized the the project proposal that he's trying to get the grant for and I love how much this whole movie like basically boils down to like academics competing with each other for grants and plagiarism (laughs) um but yeah and Mr. Larrabee like completely breaking like no longer has to put up with Hugh and he's like Mr. Simon you're a jerk and a bully I don't like you I want you to go away (laughs) Yep. It's so cute. Uh, and he, he really I definitely, likes Howard. He's like so I excited. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel that way about people sometimes. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, can I just say something can like just, that? Because yeah. I don't like you. Go away. Leave me mm-hmm. alone. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how Mr. Larrabee's so excited that he can like give the prize to Howard. Like he was really disappointed that they, it didn't go Howard's way. And now he's like excited. Um, anyway, so... Yeah, so everything is back to normal. The FBI agent has the top secret documents the journalist is following. He's like got the bag handcuffed to him and I think he's still got the golf clubs and then the journalist is following him around with these like ginormous like chain mail snipper thingies underneath his coat, which is really funny. Um, the, the like house detective and the concierge who were trying to steal the jewels are now like trying to make a getaway to like Brazil or something like that. Let's see. So, yeah, Howard is basically like, Judy, you know, I had a great time together, but you're just too chaotic. We can't be together. I need to leave. And she's like, you know, I, I get it. I get it. Um, So but then he's on the plane ride home and we can see on his face that he's kind of regretting his decision. But then we hear Judy's voice and she's like sitting right behind him and she's talking to this lady who is not listening to her. who has got like earphones in but she's like yeah i'm gonna go to this like conservatory in iowa and there's this professor there that i want to study with his name is dr howard bannister and howard is so happy and he like leans his chair back and he's like did you know that i love you and she's like 
Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so Howard Bannister is actually a professor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a professor at this, like, they say it's oh. like a conservatory in, in Iowa. Okay, I did not realize he was actually <clears throat> a professor. Did you think he was like a like a grad student or something like that? No, I didn't. I thought he was just a guy with a hobby. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, he's actually a professor. Uh, who knows how good he is at being a teacher, but <laughs> he loves his rocks. Um, but there's that great moment where Howard goes, um, well, Howard's like, you know, I'm I'm really sorry, you know, about the things that I said. And then Judy quotes uh, this real life line from uh uh, Ryan O'Neill's hit movie Love Story, which is love means never having to say you're sorry, which is a real line from that movie. And then Howard goes, you know what? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It is really dumb. It is really dumb. I love, though, how she goes, let me tell you something. Love means never having to say you're sorry. And then she blinks like 20 times. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. And he's like, no, that's that's dumb. And then they kiss. Can I just, can I just say real quick? Mm-hmm. I don't like the movie Love Story. Okay, moving on. I've never seen Love Story. Have you seen it? Uh, I tried to watch it a few years back and I turned it off because I hated it so much. I mean, I feel like it was this huge hit of the day, but I feel like the way it's regarded today is like, yeah, it's really schmaltzy and not very good. Uh, I've not seen I, it, so I can't say, but... It's very schmaltzy and I also have a thing for hockey being portrayed in movies in a way that's just... Oh, there's hockey in that movie? Yeah. Is that I'm why pre- you watched it? No, I watched it because <laughs> I wanted to see Ryan O'Neill in another movie. But um, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm trying to remember um, because again, I didn't finish it, but I'm yeah. Is, pretty he's positive like, there's Yeah, no, I'm sure it. you're right. Because he's like, um, it's like he's a sort of waspy uh, Harvard student, right? And she's like the girl from the wrong side of the tracks. I think something. he's a hockey player. He's a hockey player. Okay. I think so. Yeah. Which, which now that I think about it, that... Did Ryan O'Neill play hockey? Because he also was a hockey player in Slapshot. Oh, really? Yeah. What's Wait, his interest in ice hockey? That's interesting. so interesting. Yeah, maybe. You should look it up. Anyway, My I main... love Slapshot. If you haven't seen Slapshot, go watch it. It's a great movie. <laughs> I remember you showed me that scene from it, which is really funny. Oh, that um, movie's so good. <laughs> My main knowledge of Love Story comes from the Mad Magazine parody of it, where they talk about how she's, because spoiler alert in Love Story, the, the female lead dies of some like wasting disease. They talk about how they she has the <laughs> old movie disease where the more the closer to death she becomes, the more beautiful she becomes. And they're like, look, her skin is clearing up. Her teeth are straightening. Her hair is becoming more and more shiny. Anyway. Yeah. Would not recommend. Watch Slapshot instead. Yeah. And then watch What's Up Doc. Yeah. Um, all right. So anyway, yes. Yeah, so they kiss and the airplane TV is playing uh, Bugs Bunny and they sing What's Up? Uh, that's all, folks. What's up, Doc? Anyway. And yeah, that's the end of the movie. Um, that's all, folks. That's all, folks. I mean, there's so many little moments that we've skipped over, but it's truly impossible. This movie is just I was shocked when I finished this movie and I went to look up the runtime. It's only 94 minutes long. Mm-hmm. There is so much packed into this movie it is so dense with the amount of like quick little jokes and lines and visual gags and things like that it is just absolutely slam packed with stuff can i just say that aside from the recent movies i've been watching that have been coming out in theaters like this year Mm -hmm. i've been watching a lot of movies recently that are pre 2010 maybe even farther back than that Mm mm-hmm can we just bring back the shorter runtime? Because oh it is gosh, totally yes. possible to tell a complete 
excellent story in under two hours. I don't mind movies being long if they have to be long, but I feel like there's so many movies nowadays where it's like, oh, there's just so much. It's just like, does it really have to be this long? And I think sometimes it does. But I also, a lot of times, I just think that screenwriters or directors or whatever, they just, it is really hard to make things short and it is a lot of work to do that. And so, or maybe it's just a thing where everyone, it, it's a movement and people are writing longer stories now that need more time. But I don't know. I've just been really enjoying watching movies recently that are very good and shorter than two hours. Yeah. You know, I agree. Yeah. It's I'm... very possible to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if some of it is like as theaters are, you know, increasingly struggling. I mean, if they've been struggling for a long time, but there's this sort of movie makers feel like they have to make it worth their while for people to go to the theater. And so they want people to actually commit to a movie in the theater. It needs to be longer. I feel like it for a lot of like big blockbusters and things. I wonder if that's part of the reason for the bloat. But I don't understand when it comes to like comedies and rom-coms and things like that. Like some, there are a lot of movies that are like lighter where you're like, cut 15 to 20 minutes out of this and you would make it so much better. It'd be a lot tighter. There's just a lot of stuff in here you don't really need. I don't know. I feel like you could potentially get more people into the theater because I know so many people that are like, I really want to see that movie, but it's too long. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know. This is a, like a, yeah. a conversation for another time, but yeah, but yeah, I, I just I, I agree. With I'm you. just like there's a lot of movies that are very very long now that I don't think need to be as long as they are, and I'm fine with long movies. I've said this before on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. My favorite movies of all time are some of the longest movies ever made, but it, don't make them long if they don't have yeah, to be. Exactly, exactly. If it earns that mo- runtime, it can be as long as it wants to but just don't make them long for the sake of making them long right yeah all right so um in terms of the awards for this movie sadly no oscars which is a travesty but um not entirely surprising oscars are not always friendly to comedies we know on this podcast that the oscars are a fun game to play but they're purely (laughs) a game (laughs) um it was nominated for a golden globe for best newcomer for madeline Kahn. It won the WGA Award for uh, Best Comedy Written Directly for the Screen. Very well deserved, in my opinion. Um, As of now, the uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 89%. Metacritic has it only 73%. Um, But I think this is one of those things where reviews at the time were a little more... I mean, I think reviews were generally good, but this is one of those movies where as it has aged, it has also... People have grown in appreciation for it. Um, I picked one critic review. This is a re- recent-ish review, like within the last 10 years or so. This is a writer named Megan Meg Walters, who is writing for the, the film blog Little White Lies. She says, well, this is kind of two quotes that I from this review that I stuck together. So she says, what's up, Doc? <laughs> what's up, Doc? What's up, Doc, is a breathless flurry of a film propelled by an increasingly nonsensical plot and underscored by an unending stream of mile-a-minute dialogue thrown back and forth between a daffy cast of cartoonish characters. It's fast-talking, sharp-witted, and, quite frankly, completely wacky. 
Watching What's Up Doc today, it's not hard to be struck with a double dose of nostalgia for a kind of movie romance that has largely disappeared from our screens. The particular brand of slapstick comedy and barbed romance in What's Up Doc is an homage to a bygone era of Hollywood cinema that in 1972 was considered outdated. But Bogdanovich embraced it without irony. Can I ask a question? Yes, please. Because we didn't really talk about this. What... How do you feel about um, the romance between Howard and Judy in this movie? Does it work for you? It works for me. It works for me in the sense that, as we've talked about before, these aren't really people. (laughs) I mean, Howard is the closest to being a person. Judy is very much a, a cartoon character. But to me, it doesn't need to work in the sense of like, this is a great romance that psychologically makes a lot of sense (laughs) you know and that I could see them being together for the next 80 years of their lives it works for me in the sense of like oh I can see why you know she's good for him and pushing him in certain ways and I mean who knows what's going on with her internally but she fixates on him so I'm glad that she got him and um, I think their chemistry is very cute together I I really enjoy their dynamic on screen I think they have a lot of um their back and forth and the way they their energies feed off each other works really well. So, yeah, it does work. It doesn't work in the realm of like this is psychological realism or this is the type of relationship that should be emulated in real life, but it works <laughs> in the vein that the movie is intending. I think that the movie is intending it to work. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I like the way that you phrase it at the end in that it does it does work within the context of this movie, but in the real world, I'm just like, this is a toxic dynamic. I do not think that he should be with someone like this mm. um, because he's so manip- like easily manipulated. I just feel like he's going to end up in a lot of situations that are not good because she clearly is extremely reckless. And I also, just within the context of the movie, a- as much as I love Barbara Streisand and her singing, I did find the whole piano scene to feel very forced and out of place because I felt like up till that point, Howard, I mean, obviously he was fighting his attraction to her, but it didn't at all feel to me like he was in a place where he was in love. He also kind of strikes me as a little bit more of an asexual person, which maybe is stereotyping and and I don't mean to offend anyone, Um, but I don't know. It it just it did not make sense to me, A, that they would have this moment of singing at the piano and just like, oh, man, this is a really romantic. I was like, this doesn't work for me. And then the sex on top of it, I was just like this. I don't think this is necessary. I don't feel like we need this in this movie. It didn't add anything for me. It just felt confusing. I think for me, my interpretation to the extent that I've really like thought about this or created some sort of like dynamic like dynamic that makes sense which not a whole lot is that um I think it's coming right after he's just seen um Eunice kind of at her most unattractive and I don't mean like physically necessarily but in the most sort of her at her most kind of controlling and um not understanding and like freaked out which I think you know is kind of pushing him away from her I think also there's a sense in which Judy is kind of his sexual awakening like he is a very asexual character at the beginning of the movie but I think that's because he's with someone who is not meant for him and he's not really attracted to and Judy is someone that he's 
is attracted to, even if he doesn't realize it at the beginning. Hmm. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could see that. I just felt like within the context of this movie, it wasn't necessary. Like their relationship and the message of their relationship still would have gotten across for me if that scene didn't exist. But mm-hmm. I get it. Barbara Streisand probably was like, there has to be a scene in this movie where I'm singing <laughs> while laying on top of a piano. And they were like, well, this is the only way it makes sense. So let's just do that. Yeah. <laughs> like I could see Barbara Streisand having that conversation of being like, there has to be to a scene where I'm singing. Yeah. 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 I-, I could see her doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and it's so you know, this movie isn't really a musical, but it's it's very adjacent to a musical. And in musicals, similar to cartoons in some ways, at least the musicals of like, you know, that sort of 1930s, 40s Fred Astaire era, they're also very cartoonish. They are also very archetypal. They're also kind of, el- you know, floating above reality, like existing in this elevated plane where it's all, it's more about the emotions than any sort of, like psychological <laughs> realism or connection right. to the real world, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I, I think it works within the movie in that sense as well, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I get that. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. You, I'm, you know, as yeah. you know, I'm just very, I don't know if critical is the right word. But. <laughs> yeah, you you <laughs> process and appreciate romance in a very different way that I do. And this is not then the most type people. of romance. <laughs> <laughs> than most people. <laughs> um yeah so all right so final thoughts um yeah Geneva do you like this movie um I don't know I'm kind of on the fence (laughs) no I love this movie I love it so much there's so much about it that doesn't make sense and that's it's it's just so perfect um yeah like I said I've seen it at least a dozen times over the years probably more and I will see it many dozens more (laughs) Um, and every time I see it, I, there's something new that I appreciate in it and I love introducing it to people and getting people to watch it for the first time. And I hope to continue to do so. So yeah, Tatum, is there anything in this movie that, you know, feel like you kind of particularly struck you, struck you or that will stay with you afterwards? Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I, I did really like this movie overall, um, and the issues I have with it are just, they're very minor. So, um, yeah, I do really like the movie. I will say the the thing that I think that I'm really going to take away from it is the, I feel like I'm just going to remember that courtroom scene for like the rest of my life. It's definitely something that I'm going to immediately go to YouTube and watch and probably return to whenever I'm in a bad mood and need to be cheered up. I just, I loved absolutely everything about like we could do a whole podcast episode just on that scene mm-hmm. like I love I it wrote down as I was watching it like I would watch an entire sitcom of just this oh my gosh and this bailiff like it's such it's so much the thing of like all you need is a really really talented performer mm-hmm. and he's just going you know like put them anywhere in any scenario and mm-hmm. it's gonna and work it's gonna be fun you know yeah so, yeah, I think that's going to be what sticks with me the most. I really, really just, I mean, I like this movie a lot, but that scene, I'm just, it's the screenwriting, the acting, the the timing of everything. It's just, it's so good. It, I watch things like that and it just makes me think about, and I don't know if this is the first movie to do this, probably not, but it makes me think about other movies where kind of a similar concept happens. And the one that comes to my mind is Crazy Stupid Love where you know you have all of these people operating in their own individual universes and then it kind of 
crescendos until it reaches this climax of chaos. I just rewatched that scene yesterday. That mm-hmm. that one scene where all the pieces come together. It is so, so good. It I is love it. So good. I know people have criticisms of that movie and, and they're not unfounded, but that scene in particular I really love. And so I just see this courtroom scene and how it's again, I don't know if this movie is the first time to do it, but I just see this sort of concept being imitated in other movies. And I think that that shows, you know, how much influence it has and how groundbreaking it is and how much it has connected with people and audiences. So, yeah, I love that scene a lot. So that's what I'm going to take away from this movie more than anything else. But there's lots of other things I'll take away, too. So like the like the the golf clubs. Oh, my gosh. The golf clubs. (laughs) I can't get over the golf clubs. You have to watch the movie to know what we're talking about because it's just I cannot convey to you how funny it is that this like man is just carrying around these golf clubs. They just never go away. Never they just go away. Never go away. They're just like sort I'm of actually, gradually get less and less. I'm gonna go back and watch that courtroom scene. I wonder if he has his golf clubs Ooh, there. Probably that, not. Yeah, that's a good question. If he's been detained, they probably took his golf clubs <laughs> away from. I want a whole. I want a whole episode of a television show of him getting to prison and the officers taking away his <laughs> golf clubs. Like no. I love when he comes to the judge's desk and he's like, I'm a federal officer of the government and I'm here to expose secret government. And he like opens one of the bags, whichever the bags is like closest at hand. He's like, secret government underwear. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh my gosh. It's like, did he think he was going to open the right bag? I know. What did he think? There are four of them. Like you got a 25% shot. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. We need to wrap this up. So should um, we end it by going? We'll end it with me singing. Um, you're the top. I still. Yeah. 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 Hard. Hard to hear with modern ears. Now that you said that, I will have a difficult time. I'm telling you because she's literally she's like I'm the bottom, and he's like, Nope, you're the top. I'm like, Well, she is. Tatum, this is a classic song that has existed for decades. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is performed at jazz standard concerts all over the world. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, do you want to tell the people what we're going to be covering in the next episode? Yes. Um, We are completely shifting tones. Uh, Next week, we are watching a movie called Blind Spotting that came out in 2018. Um, it is a movie that I wish more people had seen. It was one of the films that year where the people who did see it were like, this movie needs to be recognized, but no one really watched it for some reason. Um, Geneva, I'm particularly interested in talking to you about this movie because there, there are some concepts and some particular scenes in this movie that I've want, frankly, I've wanted to talk to you about them for years. Um, and there's just a lot of really interesting questions about what it means in this country to, you know, be a specific race and how you're perceived and what it means to be in like an interracial friendship and having one person be one race and the other person be another and how you're both perceived by society and where you come from and how you relate to each other. Um, It's not a perfect movie, but at the same time, I think it asks really important questions and portrays, relationships and dynamics that people have in this country that are not very often if ever represented so I'm excited to talk about it it's pretty intense um but it's really good if you haven't seen it which I'm 
assuming our listeners haven't because basically no one's seen this movie please watch it and come back and listen next week all right i'm excited this sounds like it'll be a really good conversation yeah even if you hate it which you might I think that we'll still have a really good conversation about it. I don't think you'll hate it, but I think there's a possibility that you'll come away from it and be like, yeah, it was fine. But even so, I think we'll have a good conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. That's all, folks. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Until next time. I'm going to outro you while you say goodbye, Geneva. (laughs) Farewell, everyone. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) That was really awkward. (laughs) I loved it. I thought it was great. I'm glad you liked it. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you could email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time. Bye.